0: In 2005, in his commencement speech at Kenyon College, the late author David Foster Wallace said this, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. You know, for many people, uh, both in our culture, society at large, and in the church, work has become an idol. Their careers have become like worship, a religious practice, a way of life that promises meaning, transcendence, significance, and even community. Derek Thompson was writing in The Atlantic, and he said this, some people worship beauty, some worship political identities, others worship their children. But everybody worships something. And workism is among the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants. What is workism, he says? It is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. And the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage more work. I worked for a company at one point that that seemed to be their motto. Any good policy meant it must lead to more work. And they were willing for you to work until you couldn't anymore. And in the meantime, if they weren't so sure that you were necessary, they'd discard you very quickly. Can anyone relate? It seems to be the culture of our day. This insatiable push towards workism reduces our value to be assessed by what we do rather than who we are. The Catholic priest and theologian, Henry Nowen, he wrote this in the book, Out of Solitude. He said, when we start being too impressed by the results of our work, we slowly come to the erroneous conviction that life is one large scoreboard where someone is listing the points to measure our worth. And before we are fully aware of it, we have sold our soul to the many grade givers. That means we are not only in the world, but also of the world, which by the way, Jesus said we weren't to be. Then he continues. Then we become what the world makes us. We are intelligent because someone gives us a high grade. We are helpful because someone says thanks. We are likable because someone likes us. And we are important because someone considers us indispensable. In short, we are worthwhile because we have successes And the more we allow our accomplishments, the results of our actions, to become the criteria of our self-esteem, the more we are going to walk on our mental and spiritual toes. Never sure if we will be able to live up to the expectations which we created by our last successes. I have found that it is in most idolatrous behavior Either we are controlling it or it is controlling us. Brother John used to say that a lot. Either you're ruling it or it's ruling you. Most idolatries in our current days are not all bad in and of themselves. It is that they become the focus. And now instead of it serving us, we start serving it. Let me give you three signs that you've made work an idol. First, exhaustion. It seems we're always busy and we're always tired. It's the way many of us live our lives, like we're always on 11. That's Spinal Tap reference right there. We're always over the top, over the max. We are frying ourselves. We are searing the very neurotransmitters that are responding and they're just fried. We're busy and we're exhausted. And, and then we start scrambling for life hacks to help us be more productive and get more out of it rather than doing what God said, take a Sabbath. And so we become, as we're scrambling for these things, we become irritable for everyone that's around us and they don't really want to be with us. Number two, we're afraid, fear this often drives us to overwork more than we might realize. If I don't do it, it won't get done, we say to ourselves. Who will do it? It's got to be done. But underneath that claim is the fear that I won't be enough and I won't have enough. And isn't it Jesus who said, why do you worry about what you will eat or drink? Doesn't your father know what you need before you ask? When we are clamoring to get our needs met and not looking to our Father to meet our needs, we're looking at the wrong thing. Third, pride. These are all signs of potentially making our work an idol, pride. For many of us, work is the chance to prove ourselves. It's this chance to prove our worth and our value. Why is busy the number one answer when you're asked, how are you? because we want people to know how important we are. I'm so busy. And it's how we define ourselves. It's how we gain worth and value. It's how we measure whether whether we're worth it or not. If we find ourselves exhausted or afraid or proud, chances are we've propped up work as if it were an idol. And it's not... Working us, or excuse me, it's working us rather than we're working it. And that's where it becomes a a master and, and not the thing that should serve us. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, that is not my problem. All you boomers and Gen Xers, you're the ones who worship work. I'm younger than that. I have more balance to my life. I don't even like work. Well, I've got a message for you too. While you may not worship work, we're still called to worship God in our work. And that's a very important piece of what he has put into our DNA. The way we're wired, the way we're to work. He has a lot to say about work, God does. In fact, in the Bible, you'll find over 800 references to work of some form in the Bible. And that is more than all the words used to express worship, praise, and singing combined. Work. God has a lot to say about it. We are called to be a community of contribution that is significantly making a difference. We are called to take seriously the work to which God has called us. Because work is something that God himself does. In fact, Eugene Peterson wrote it this way. He said, the Bible begins with the announcement, in the beginning, God created. Not sat majestic in the heavens. He created. He did something. He made something. He fashioned heaven and earth. The week of creation was a week of work. And that's why the Sabbath was all the more important. Even God, as he worked for six days, rested on the seventh, right at the beginning, we're faced with this inescapable truth that God himself is a worker. It's in his nature, it's in his character, it's a part of who he is and it gives us the foundation for our work. We see it as the passage that I asked you to turn to in Genesis one and we'll start at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. (laughs) I love that. When I was in youth ministry, I felt like I could identify to that. Every creeping thing that creeps on earth. No, I'm just teasing. That's not true kind of mean, wasn't it? I'm so sorry. So sorry, Judah. I didn't mean that. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Now, uh, there's so much I'd love to just tap in here, but I'm trying to get to the point about work. Look at verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That that phrase, have dominion, is used twice here. And it is the word redah, the Hebrew word redah. And it means to rule, to reign, to have dominion. It is the work of royalty. It's what kings and queens do. And God speaks this command over Adam and Eve to do this royal work. It's a stunning command. It's, it's something that is so profound. It just here's the synopsis Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. Such powerful language. God is inviting them to join him in his work. He didn't just create them. He invites them into his creative work. As one theologian put it, to actively partner with God in taking the world forward. That is what he's called us to do, to participate with him in taking the world forward. There's further proof of this in Genesis 2. So flip over one page to Genesis 2, verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden." And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was, is the Pishon. And it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold in that land is good. I don't know what made it good. I don't know if there's bad gold, but this was good gold. Bedellum and onyx stones are there. And the name of the second river is Gihon. And the one that flowed around the land, around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east into Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And then here's the key verse. And the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That phrase, work it and keep it, those are two powerful words. Let me just give you context for them, work it in Hebrew is abad. And it means to cultivate, to develop, to draw out potential. I love that. They weren't park rangers in the Garden of Eden. They were cultivators. They were workers. They were farmers. They worked with God. They didn't just observe what God did they joined him in the process of what he was doing do you see how relational God is in this anybody anybody you see it he's inviting us to participate with him not to just witness what he did but to join him in it and then the next word is keep it and that word is shamar in the Hebrew and it means to guard to protect to watch over So Adam and Eve, here they are, created in God's image. He created them male and female. And he doesn't doesn't just create them so that he might have fellowship with them, though that is a part of it. He creates them that they might rule and reign with him. That they might have dominion over all that he had created, that he would allow them to join and participate with him, to cultivate, to guard, to protect, to work, to steward, to develop, to draw out the potential of all that God created. What a beautiful picture. Think about all, that, all the potential that has been drawn out of creation since that moment. I mean, think about all the technological advances and all the things that we have in this day. We're sitting here in air conditioning. Think about that potential. I'm grateful for that potential when it's 95 degrees outside, amen? Anyone else? Yes? Think about all the potential that has been drawn out of what God created. That's the design that God had for man for male and female, Adam and Eve, for all of us to actively partner with him in taking the world forward. What an incredible job description. I I just the more I read it, the more I ponder it, the more my mind is blown that God would let us join him. What's really important for us to remember is that this was all prior to the fall that this work that he was calling them to was prior to the fall that before the serpent ever showed his ugly face and entered the equation that they were invited to participate as workers this was not a vacation it's a vocation it's a job that he's invited us into work is not evil Nor is it the result of sin. It happened before sin entered the picture. It's a gift. Work is something we are made for. We are wired for working because God himself is a worker. And we are made in his image. Something given to us by God is the design for how we are to walk it out. Now, if you're sitting here and thinking, I don't like work maybe it's time to get a different attitude about it, to look at it differently, to shift the way you're seeing it because there is something you're missing if you don't recognize that he has called you into the work that you're doing. Now, I realize there's a whole lot of things to add to that. First of all, there is the curse of Genesis 3. After they fell, after the sin entered, God did command a curse and indeed... It meant that work would now have pain as well as pleasure. That there would be futility and toil associated with work. But I want you to remember that before that ever happened, they were called to work. And because of that, work itself is good. It has intrinsic value. And because we are those that have joined him and participating with him in what he's doing, work is being redeemed in our midst. And we're a part of that. I love the way Tim Keller defines work. He says it's rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. What a great picture. Think about whatever it is that you do for work. And everyone works here from the youngest to the oldest. You may not get paid for it, but you work. Or you should. If you don't, that's a whole nother problem. The Bible says you shouldn't even eat if you don't work. The way we raise our children, we should teach them how to work. I don't know how I got there, but anyway. <laughs> what Adam was charged with doing in the garden is what we have been charged to do in our own work. That is theology of work has carried over into what we are doing whether at home or in the marketplace or in the factory or in the schoolroom or in the public square or in the pulpit we are called to work in such a way that it will draw out potential of that which we're giving ourselves to it will grow it it will strengthen it it will redis- it will discover newness of it and in that in that way we are reflecting the glory of our god and we are loving our neighbor and causing flourishing for our community this idea is such an important part of being a disciple of jesus He's called us to join him in this, not sit and let him do everything for us, but to gather with him and to participate with him. And this idea of being his disciple and this whole work idea is really a biblical doctrine called vocation. And I don't want to bog down in that, but vocation is something that has been long thought of early on to be only for those that are in the priesthood. In fact, that's how most of the church taught it for the first 1,500 years. The vocation was something that was only for those pre-selected ones, the ones that set themselves apart to be in the priesthood, that everyone else, the cobbler and the carpenter and the the homemaker and all of them, well, that's not holy work. Just the priests get to do that. But thanks be to God that we had a reformation in about 1,500 or so. By the way, we probably need another one. And Martin Luther helped recapture the idea that we are all called into a vocation. That it is the priesthood of the believer. It's not me as the pastor that's the one that has the holy work and all of you get to do all the dirty work. In fact, it may be the direct opposite. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. We're all called to be participants in what God is doing. It doesn't matter what you do. I love how John Mark Comer, a pastor that I really respect a lot, talks about this vocation or specifically our calling, what we're called to. He says, we are first called to Jesus, not to something we do, but to a relationship with him. The call of God is primarily a call to himself. When he called the early disciples, he didn't give them an assignment, he called them to come with him. Yes. And so the call means we go with him in what he is doing. The purpose and the tasks and the and the ministry, oh, that'll all come. But it has to first be about following and being with him. Amen. Secondly, we are called to do our work as an act of worship and discipleship to Jesus. This is where what we do is actually a part of our own worship to the Lord and about the process of working discipleship into us. It's a glory given to him and it's a changing of us. It works in us and quite frankly, what we do throughout the week in our workplaces, in our homes, that is the greatest discipleship arena we could have. It's where we spend the most time laboring and working. We should view our work as a facet, a key facet of discipling, of being discipled. And whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're a nurse, if you're a teacher, if you're a server, if you're if an engineer, if you're a barista, if you're, if you're a, a, a pastor, if you're a full-time wife and mom, if you're an engineer, if you're a, if you're a business owner, if you're a student, it doesn't matter what you do. It's the place for you to work out with God. And it is the place God will work you out. (laughs) He will work you out. His daily invitation is for us to grow and to mature. And he's going to use what you do, your job, your labor, your routine, to work in you more of him. Finally, we're called first to him. And then to what he's called us to do, but we're also called to play our role in the larger family of God for the flourishing of all humanity and for the the evangelization and the missional work that God has called us into. Your part matters. And I, I want you to hear that. I know that I'm the one that gets to get up here and speak. But the part that you play in the work of God for the reaching of this community in this county and our neighborhoods is more vital than even the part I play. I'm called to equip. I'm called to equip the saints along with other ministries, including prophetic and apostolic and evangelistic and pastoral and teaching. We're called to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And that is the work that we're doing, not only when we're evangelizing and telling people about Jesus, but when we're living like Jesus right where we work and right where everybody can see us. Listen, for those of us with more privilege, which is most Americans, we often have opportunity that many around the world do not. To find work that can be personally rewarding and even enjoyable is a privilege that we have. And it puts the onus on us to use that opportunity to do the biblical work of justice and mercy for to whom much is given, much is required. And so if you have opportunity to actually have a job that you enjoy, that you find meaning out of, that you have significance with, you don't get to waste that on yourself. It's designed for you to use and help these efforts of justice and mercy and reaching the lost. Because let's remember that not all people around the world have that opportunity. Not all Christians do. Most Christians around the world don't even get the chance to try to have that opportunity. They have to do what is right before them, but that's okay. Because God gets glory out of that work every bit as much as he does out of ours. (laughs) And that's the beauty of God. We all have a vocation, a calling that is significant to God, one that participates with God in drawing out potential, both in us and in the places where we work while reflecting our creator and loving our neighbor. So... My question to us today is, how are we doing? How are we doing? Has work become an idol to you? Has it become the thing you serve rather than the thing that can serve you and your family? Has exhaustion, fear, and pride dulled your worship of the only one and true God? Don't worship at the altar of your career. It will fade. Or do you see what you're doing for work as insignificant, without purpose, just a way to earn a buck? It's not important. I would challenge that. I don't care what it is you're doing. The least significant thing can still give glory to God if you do it with a heart of worship to him and a reflection that the way I do it with excellence and care and concern for all those around me will actually advance the kingdom. It will move the world forward. And each of us has that opportunity. Either way, we are called to work with God, exercising dominion over the work he has placed us in to cultivate, to guard, to protect, to steward, to develop, to draw out its potential to show the glory of God in its midst, to actively partner with him in taking the world forward. I pray that this morning we will have ears to hear and hearts to obey the word of God, amen. We're gonna gather at the Lord's table this morning. In a moment, I'm gonna have those that are sharing and will participate by distributing the bread and the wine to all of us as a family. I'll have them come up and we'll pray for them. We were praying beforehand and as someone mentioned to me, just the sense that God in his spirit is here to heal and to bring healing to those that are distressed, that are broken, that are hurting, that are physically ailing. And I just wanna Put that out there because I believe that word is true. The Holy Spirit is here to do a work in our hearts, in our lives, and in our minds. And so as you come this morning, when you gather at the table, I want you to be open to the fact that when we participate and partake of the bread and the cup, there is healing in those things. There is healing in what God is doing here. And so as you gather, look for the Lord to heal. And if you're in need of a touch, if you're in need of someone to pray with you, and if it can't be done in that group, then there will be leaders that will stand over in the corners of the building here, and they will be available to pray with you. After you receive communion, go, and they will pray a prayer of healing and deliverance for you. Sweetie, come on up. I'd like to ask those that are gonna be serving communion the five, five couples to go ahead and come and gather around here. Donna's going to share for a moment, and then we're going to begin with communion.
1: As Chris was speaking about just a godly view of what work is, regardless of what kind of work we do, I thought of the verse in 2 Timothy 2.15, where it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as an approved worker. One who has no need to be ashamed because they rightly handle the word of truth. It doesn't matter what you do in a practical sense. God has a plan for that, and if you ask him, he will help you. (laughs) But each of us should be an approved worker. And when we take communion today, that's the place where you get rid of anything that would disqualify you and you receive his approval and qualifications. Mm -hmm. And I encourage you that if there's any part of the work, the calling, whether that's uh, your physical job or your calling unto Christ that is eating your lunch, (laughs) communion is a great place to remember, to receive, to believe that you can be approved as God's worker and know how to handle the truth and do it without shame.
0: Yes, amen.